Well, this is the podcast from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Chuck McGaffey, and we welcome you not only to our worship service over the recorded podcast, uh, but also to the first Sunday of Advent 2022. Our scripture passage this morning is Romans 13, 11 through 14. Please note that our website, so very easy to remember, is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. Hey, write to us, tell us that you're listening, uh, and uh, encourage others by sending them a link to this podcast. I thank you. You are the ones that will help publicize this word. Our scripture text is from Romans, and uh, I'm going to share it with you. It's from Romans 13, 11 through 14. Paul writes, Beside this, you know what time it is, how it is already the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk decently as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in illicit sex and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This Sunday, we have a theme that we have all longed to hear. Today is a day of anticipation of a new thing. Like when you were a kid waking up on your birthday or Christmas morning or the beginning of summer vacation, you just cannot wait for the sun to rise to see what good things the day will deliver. It so happens that this day is also the first day of the Christian calendar. A new cycle begins called Advent when we look ahead with anticipation of the coming salvation for God's people. Over the course of four Sundays, we will ponder the ways Scripture calls us to reflect on our lives and the unrelenting pull of the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This then is an exciting and joyful time, a time of wonder and a time of mystery as we are once again reminded of the reality of Emmanuel, a Hebrew term that means God is with us. We know that this experience is often referenced in the Gospels, but it is not confined there. God's people in both the Old and New Testaments reflect on this theme time and time again. In today's scripture, we have references that speak of fresh wind for faith and anticipation of a new day of hope and promise. In Isaiah, we read, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. The gospel lesson also speaks of expectation and anticipation. In Matthew, it reminds us of a perpetual advent when we read, Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. 
The Apostle Paul also sensed it. In his arduous missionary work, he found himself driven by and inspiring others toward hope. You've heard his words already this morning, but let's focus how, upon how he begins. His faith in Jesus Christ shows forth when he writes this, Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. The writings of Paul may seem like an odd way to embark upon the season of Advent. Traditionalists like myself are more inclined to go to the writings of Isaiah or Matthew to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. Yet Paul is also included in the preparation passages this week. Making things just a bit more difficult is an enduring confusion about Paul himself. He has been, I believe, grossly mischaracterized as a woman-hating hard nose who let slip his own cultural prejudices, thus redefining the liberating gospel of Jesus into something different from its initial intention. Whenever I hear that or echoes of that from my Christian brothers and sisters, I have to stop them and challenge their notions. You see, I believe that the evidence is strongly in favor of Paul as a radical man who understood and believed in the gospel. Paul took it so seriously that instead of rigidly holding to the cultural traditions of his day, he challenged them. In our modern parlance, he would not be termed an ultra-conservative, but a progressive or liberal. Just one example of this can be observed in his attitude toward slavery. Now, by the way of explanation, there are many today, both outside and even inside the Christian faith, who will tell you that St. Paul was a supporter of and defender of slavery by taking words away from their context and ignoring the flow and the intent of his teachings, they not only miss the intention of Paul, but get him entirely wrong on this. The truth is quite different and reassuring. Reassuring, at least to those who believe the Bible never supports slavery, but is always aiming to dismantle the sinful practice. Just so you know, evidence indicates that Paul, that Saul, that was Paul's Hebrew name, came from a family who had been enslaved. Some scholars now believe that his family was originally from Galilee and were forcibly deported and placed into bondage for rebellious acts against Rome. In the city of Tarsus, young Saul grew up and eventually worked his way into freedom, which included Roman citizenship. Later, he clearly demonstrates his feelings toward those enslaved when he calls Onesimus himself a Roman slave, his child, and urges his master, a man named Philemon, to no longer consider him beneath him, but as his brother. Knowing all of this, I find it quite unfathomable how some still argue that Paul and the Bible endorse slavery. We will endeavor to do better. Let's do our best to understand the early Christ follower, Paul, as we examine his words this day. In this passage, he is writing to the Christians in the city of Rome. 
Because of that, we know something of the lives of those early believers. Their lives were affected by the distresses of the economy, political upheaval and oppression, disease and privation, and horrific natural disasters. In short, there is nothing that we are going through that they did not endure in one form or another. By way of offering to them a way of understanding their faith amidst the struggle of their lives, Paul pens a teaching letter to the Christians in Rome. The letter of Romans is written to these people in their specific context, but there is much we can learn from it too. But first, we are, if we are to learn, we must think how it came across to those early Roman people who were followers of a Jewish Messiah named Jesus. Who were these people called the church in Rome? Well, first thing, it was not a single church as we think of it, but a number of small churches scattered throughout the imperial city. They were groups of believers who met quietly out of the public view in homes, small establishments, and even in underground tombs called catacombs. Their religion did not convene in big buildings on the main roads, but avoided attention. Even if they wanted prominence, they avoided it because they were considered by most people to be odd and unpatriotic. Because the Christians chose to worship Christ alone, they were called atheists and even cannibals when they partook of the Lord's Supper. They were comprised primarily of folks on the margins, there were some few rich from the elite Roman society, but in the main, they were comprised of slaves, women, the poor, and discontented soldiers. These were people for whom life was hard. These were also people knit together by a single unifying hope. They saw in Jesus a Savior who cared for all people, Romans, Jews, Greeks, men, women, slaves, and soldiers. That made their religion unique among the many religions practiced in Rome. Those religions were for the privileged, who often paid dues to be a part of the worshiping group. And while there were quite a few, they all included an acknowledgement that the emperor himself enjoyed a divine status. Christians, however, did not acknowledge any god but God, and thus were decried as atheists and consequently held in disdain. Now think about the state of your religion and your culture right now. We too may not be understood. Our ideas of God's love and grace for all people may not be acceptable to some, yet we still have a long way to go before we can fully empathize with the religious environment of the first Roman Christian. Not only were they misunderstood and held in open contempt, but these early believers were under constant pressure to conform to the practices of their neighbors. Just like today, human behavior always seems to be sliding downhill. That day was no different. Just listen to the list of moral quagmires Paul warns of. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Turns out these warnings could be just as applicable in our day too. I find it interesting that bickering and envy are placed alongside orgies and substance abuse. Perhaps the best lesson derived from this is that God has something better for his children than self-destructive behaviors. 
What I hope you can see is that the people to whom God, to whom Paul addressed this letter, were people of faith in Jesus Christ who were under pressure in many ways, and yet to them he says, for salvation is nearer now to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk decently as in the day. I mean, doesn't that sound outrageously positive? He tells them that a new day is breaking and their faith is going to prove successful. He tells them good things are coming their way. Paul reminds them that the coming of the Lord is assured and they are to rejoice no matter how hard the day or how dark the night. The beauty of the Advent season is not found in the circumstances, but in the promise. Advent is a word that means coming. In theology, we speak of the two advent nature of eschatology. That is nothing more than a fancy way of saying that ours is a faith built upon the promise of Christ. He is coming. It is perpetual. In his first advent, he secured the salvation for sinful humanity. And in his second advent, he will bring about his kingdom. Therefore, in the season of advent, we both remember and we anticipate. What that means is that we, above all, should be and can be joyful, hopeful, and happy. A new day is breaking, and God is with us just as he promised. We have purpose and ministry to do together, and in God's light, it will be done. I think it is fair to say, along with Paul, the night is far gone and the day is near. That is a statement of faith and hope. That is a statement made upon God's promise and not on the facts on the ground. It is the kind of deep-centered belief that looks beyond the circumstances and sees into the future. I tried to think of a personal story, a story of my own, of daybreak faith. This was what God reminded me of as I wrote this message. 38 years ago, I was at sea. Destroyer Squadron 15 was on operations with the U.S. 7th Fleet in the South China Sea. My first child, Aaron, was due to be born any day. I did not expect to be there in Japan at the U.S. Naval Hospital, but I hoped I might hear good news of her birth through radio message traffic. I was very surprised when we made a port call in Subic Bay, Philippines. I was then given an opportunity to fly home to Japan, so I hopped a flight to Okinawa, then to Itsugi, and then hitched a ride to Yokosuka Naval Base. When it came time for Aaron to be born, I was more than excited. I believed that God was right with me, but what I did not know was I was going to be tested. I was just, it was just getting dark when Susan and I arrived at the hospital. I waited and waited, and then not long after midnight, I got the news I never expected. The doctor came out grim. The baby was in distress. They were sure Susan would be okay, but the baby, not so much. An emergency C-section would need to be performed. There was nothing left for me to do but pray, and pray I did. For a dark moment, I thought about the why question. Why was this happening? What would I do? What would we do if we lost this child we already loved? 
At first I felt empty and then agitated and then a bit depressed. At last I wandered over to a window, a window that faced east. Just at that moment, the sun broke over the horizon of the Pacific Ocean. As it rose, so did my spirits. I cannot tell you how I knew it, but I knew it. Everything will be okay. God was with us. The night is far gone. The day is near. It took just a few minutes before the Japanese-American doctor came and told me Erin made it. She was a strong baby, and she would recover fully. After I thanked him, I returned to that window and thanked God for the sunrise of a brand new day. I feel like we are on the verge of a brand new day. I'm full of hope and faith as we enter into this season of Advent. Along with Paul, I hope with you will affirm with me the night is far gone, the day is here. Let us pray. Lord, when we pass through the dark night of our souls, remind us that morning is not far off. It may not be fully light yet, but it is coming. Our faith is a resurrection faith built on a foundation of hope and the promise of your presence. This Advent season, we pray that light and hope will guide to belief and act into the promises that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.